Hello, and welcome to the Sound Up Seattle podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Seattle and Washington sports. I'm your host, Tyler Cartwright, joined, as always, by my co-host, John Carey. And we are here today to break down a very, very light news week when it comes to big events, big games happening in uh, Seattle sports. There's some big games coming up. We're excited to talk about uh, Wazoo, Arizona tomorrow and some other things going on, but it's just going to be a rattle-off news kind of day, and we'll, we'll get into some other stuff about college basketball, and uh, that's going to be most of it. <laughs> uh, but first, as always, a little Coyote Picnic. Let's just let's break down what's going on in the news. Uh, the Kraken, what have we heard since the last time they played? Yep, so since we last spoke, they have gone 2-2, two and two, uh, including one very encouraging win over the Boston Bruins, who are uh, still this year one of the best teams in hockey, um, but two discouraging losses against uh, the Devils and Red Wings. Um, yeah, what to say about these boys? Um we won the games where we allowed one goal and lost the games where we allowed three or more goals. Uh, pretty standard stuff there. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure I have anything new to say about these guys. Um, they're playing a lot of 500 hockey. Yeah, I think it might be good to talk a little trade trade deadline, um, trade season. Uh, and it might be good to break that down after the trades happen because I don't think the Kraken are going to go all in. It might be more of a sell time for them i think that's where they're gonna head yeah um yeah they're sitting fifth in the pacific division tied for fifth with calgary um at 57 points and they're nine points behind the kings in the four spot so there's it it's just not looking like they're gonna make that jump to the playoffs um so I, i'm intrigued to see who they can dish out and try and get you know who they can get of that has value yes and we talked about this last year and we talked about it this year as well um this team just seems to lack some of the higher-end talent uh, that can be really helpful in a long, long hockey season. Um, still a team I don't think anybody wants to play over a seven-game series just because they have a lot of good players, but not a lot of great players. Now, that's frustrating for any given season, but when it comes time for you know trades, this is a team with a lot of assets. This team has a lot of guys that would be beneficial, you know, that's kind of what happens when you have an expansion team and they're able to take, you know, the fourth or fifth guy from any team. Those are valuable guys that can help a lot of good teams win games. So if that's the direction that they're going, and I agree that it probably should be, um, I'm excited to see what kind of haul they can get. Um, last year was a ton of fun and we were kind of spoiled, but it's hard to build a real competitive team through the expansion, expansion draft, you know, credit to, the Golden Knights for what they did, but uh, that's not the norm in the history of professional sports. So um, maybe getting the chance to reset and bring in some young talent um, and stock up in the draft, that could be very helpful. Yeah. Uh, I think that's all we have to say on the Kraken. We'll see how, how it shapes up. Their, their games are always going to be fun to go to, but it's not looking like a playoff-bound season. It is not. Uh, in other news, the Pac-12 
on February 19th, so this was Monday, we were recording this on Wednesday afternoon, uh, the Pac-12 made Teresa Gold their their commissioner. Um, she's technically the first woman Power 5 commissioner, and that will be the case for approximately a half a year until the Pac-12 becomes a non-Power 5 conference, basically. Mm-hmm. Or the Power 5 conferences diminish to the Power 4. Um, it's a cool move. It doesn't do much in terms of what we expect for the Wazoo or Oregon State teams. Um, I did see that the Pac-12 is also keeping their or trying to keep their media rights deals so that they make as much money as the Power 5 schools mm-hmm. as they transition to this two-school conference. Um, so that's good for them. They'll have the funds needed to continue to be relevant programs. Um, but th- this move is just kind of a... I, I don't know how temporary it is. It might be just while they're getting situated in this two-school conference. Mm-hmm. But I know uh, George Klyavkov was the old commissioner, and people were ready for him to move on. So this is just a nice step in the right direction. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, obviously, exciting for her. It, uh, <laughs> good, but also a little frustrating that the first time a woman gets to break this particular glass ceiling, it is <laughs> not as official as it yeah. would be if she was taking over in the SEC or the Big 12 or, or what have you, because we don't really know if there's even going to be a Pac-12. Now, there's a chance that there will be a Pac-12 in five years, and that will be because teams leave the Mountain West or potentially you know, some bottom teams leave some of the other conferences um, to join up, basically to get in on the media rights and the big name of the Pac-12. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about Oregon State and Wazoo potentially joining the Mountain West. And obviously, it makes more sense for two teams to join a league than it is for eight to go and join the two. But in terms of name recognition and branding and media rights, there are some advantages to the Pac-12 potentially remaining intact. So it'll be interesting to see if she's able to keep the Pac-12 afloat. Good luck to her. I certainly hope that it does. I'm really interested. This is kind of a side note. I'm interested if a team like BYU, if a couple Mountain West teams start heading that way towards the Pac, if a team like BYU would be interested in leaving the Big 12 and coming back to the West, um, that's a team that has gone through a lot of conference changes over the years. We're obviously used to them being a WCC basketball team and a kind of free agent football team. But I'm not sure how well the Big 12 move has gone for them. Um, They're, you know, low ranked in basketball. They're number 25 right now, I think. Um, Football hasn't been good in recent years up to their own standard. Um, Maybe it'd be a good move for them to remove themselves from an even continuing to bloat Big 12 and uh, put themselves in a better position. So interesting stuff. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about just the the structure of college football and why teams are moving because you don't get that in like you think of the NBA or Major League Baseball, things like that where they have their conferences and those have their divisions. And it's obviously due to the level of competition, but the, the money grab in college football is just so crazy right now. Uh, I will be intrigued to see if, if the Pac-12 or Mountain West or whatever happens with that can swing into being more financially uh, relevant. And with that, they would be able to swing more teams back um, into the into those conferences. Yes. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting because the Pac-12 is so relevant in every other sport except for football. And even, even then, we just had a team in the national championship. Correct. It's like... We, really, you get basket, to a certain basketball point. is their week. Yeah, yeah. 
you get to a certain point and it's just like they should be making money and it's really just honestly it feels like the time zone difference is what's costing the Pac-12 these schools. That is 100% correct. 100%. If not the, then certainly a major factor in why the Pac-12 is not the ACC. The ACC does not have anything that the Pac-12 does not have other than the fact that it's on three hours earlier. Yeah. And so if the Pac-12 were to gain schools across the country, there's just more draw to having that sort of, you know, if they get BYU, if they could get a school like a Maryland or something that leaves the the Big Ten um, to be in a lesser quality of competition division, but be better, kind of like a Gonzaga, that could be good for the Pac-12. Yeah, it, um, in hindsight too, it, it really points to what a big mistake it was by the Pac-12 to not adjust the way they play football and basketball to fit East Coast standards. And the reason it's easier to see now is because before the argument was always, hey, what is college athletics for? to give these kids a good education. And we can't be pulling them out of class at 11 a.m. to get them to a stadium on time to you know, play an afternoon game so people in Maryland can watch. But now more than ever with you know NIL stuff coming through and these student-athletes being more student-professionals. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> more being professionals than they are students, particularly in these big football and basketball programs. That stuff matters less. And guess what? Tennis, swimming, you know, that stuff can still happen at its normal time. Those people aren't getting the big money. They're not drawing the big money. People in Maryland aren't going to watch that anyway for the most part. So that stuff can all stay, and they can stay student-athletes. But the fact that the big programs never adjusted in time uh, I think is a big a big reason why. And, yeah, if the Pac-12 does survive in a real way, I would bet you money that they do make adjustments that they'll be playing the earliest games of any conference to be getting on that national stage. Yeah. There's yeah, there's a lot of talk to be had about the Pac-12 and how it how it could change. And we'll we will likely get into this more and more yeah. as time goes on. Of but course. So just some initial thoughts from yeah. your we were, voice. We were gonna talk about that for five <laughs> seconds. <laughs> We've got the gift of gab. Um in other news, college football playoff. They have uh I guess ratified, they made the change to the playoffs so that it's 12 teams and the way that they the way that the change will work is the five highest ranked conference champions so obviously there's the power four conferences next year that are going to be the acc big 10 big 12 and sec those champions will all likely be ranked in the top 12 they'll make it and then a fifth conference whatever conference that is that has the highest ranked team as the, as its champion they will get an automatic bid into this 12 team playoff and then the rest of the 12 teams, so seven more, will all be the top, whatever whatever yeah. it is remaining. And that will come down to more more of the subjective, you know, deliberations behind closed doors, that sort of thing, which, you know, is fine. There was always going to be some of that. Hopefully this will remove some of the Alabama-Texas stuff because we'll get the conference champions. Um, so, yeah, with the way they set it up, Hypothetically, if there were two non-Power 5 conferences with two highly ranked teams, and then you also had like an Iowa pull out an upset and win the Big Ten, you could potentially get two of those non-con teams in. Certainly not likely. And then you would still get the Big Ten champ more than likely in in the next seven. So um, 12 is just going to be great. 
It's going to be so great. It's going to put so many of these issues to bed. Yeah. And instead of people getting pissy about Florida State versus Alabama versus Texas, it's going to be people getting mildly upset about Iowa versus Tulane versus you know whatever. Um, it's just going to make life a lot easier and a lot less. People just aren't going to be as worried about it. Um, I like the way it's set up. I think it's good to reward conference champions. Um, yeah, I think the way they did it all but guarantees that the four conference champions will get in. If Oregon State can upset UW and win the Pac-12, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Last year, hypothetically, uh, you know, they could have snuck in, essentially, um, which I think is good. You know, power, the power four are going to be really stacked. Anybody capable of winning those. I think it would be a fun auto bid into the tournament. And then you still have seven spots to fill with the most qualified teams. So I think it's going to be really good. Yeah. You also basically get an assured, like, the SEC will have their their two top teams that play in the conference championship. I'm sure those two teams will always make it. Sure. So there's no argument between the Georgia-Alabama, mm-hmm. Georgia team who went undefeated but lost in the, in their championship. Oregon, Stuff like that. Oregon will make it. Oregon would make it. Yeah. Um, it's Ohio gonna, State and Michigan. Yeah. It's just going to make it a lot easier. Um, I'm excited. Next year, it will it'll be a very good test to see how things stack up. I would wonder if it's going to if they're going to lean more towards letting these non Power Five conference teams in as those like you know ten through twelve spots. Mm-hmm. Um, if that skews how rankings are are made, um, yeah, it's just it's going to be an interesting first year, and we'll kind of base it off of that from from here on out. Yeah, there's going to be a lot. You're making a really, really good point there, and it's going to be something very interesting to watch next year. Often we're seeing these smaller conference teams, you know, with these undefeated seasons, and the AP is like, hell, what are we going to do? Put them at 24? Let's put them at 7. You know, why not? It doesn't matter. They're not going to make the playoff. We can put them there. It's going to be a lot more interesting, and I would imagine there's going to be a lot more weight placed on strength of schedule um, in the coming years, because this format should only be beneficial, but it will give teams the opportunity to play the cushiest schedule they can and just try to end up in the top 12. Um, and I think that can be mitigated successfully if, you know, the powers that be are saying, hey, no, if you can't win your conference tournament, you better have some good quad one wins. We're not looking at losses. We're looking at wins. Um. Yeah, that's going to be very interesting to watch. Yeah, and I think the other side of that is strength of schedule and when those games happen will matter too. Like when you're ranked, and I was I, I've talked about this before. It's like Ohio State and Michigan always play towards the end of the year, so that makes them always like two top ten teams, and Correct. so that game is so much higher because they're supposedly better because they're waiting because they're those, undefeated those as easy that wins to stack up yeah. so I, I think there's going to be a lot of argument for to be had for making those games earlier in the season or just more well distributed because all of the teams that are in these conferences are just all a little bit better like Washington and Michigan play in the week three yeah it's going to be a really big and important game for setting the pace of the big 10 next year mm-hmm. games like that are going to be massive yeah, yeah, it'll be good to shake things up, too, because as you're saying, I'm sure they're going to keep those big rivalry games for late in the season, and I understand why, but it'll take away the power that you're saying that those games have. If you're, if there are two teams running a conference, they're building each other up, Yep. kind of the opposite of what UW and Oregon did, where they 
slapped each other around yeah, a little bit. Yeah, the Pac-12's bit. just been doing it wrong, that's why. <laughs> that's, that's totally fair. Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, a lot of nuance, how heavy are they looking at statistics, wins, losses, so um, excited, very excited for college football next year. Yeah, when we make it on the voting voting board for that, we'll let you guys know and you guys can have a say. Come on, AP. <laughs> Answer one of my letters. All right, next we're going to get into a little women's college basketball. Um UW and Wazoo women have been just as booty as they have been the entire season. Oof. UW goes 0-2 against the Arizona schools, and Wazoo goes 1-1, beating Arizona State, who is ranked 10th in the Pac-12. Mm. Um, and Wazoo, I think, is like 8th. So they're they're humming along in those you know 8 and 11 spots, and not much is going to come of it. Yeah, not, uh, not very helpful playing in the best women's college basketball uh, yes. div- division. Uh, conference but uh yeah it is what it is with them gonzaga women faring better uh since we last talked they've won two straight uh both by more than 15 points against saint mary's and pacific uh they were no they've been 16 for a while now so they remain at 16 uh in the nation not likely to change they have three more games left in the regular season before what should be uh fairly easy go through the conference tournament. Um, once again, not a lot of respect on the WCC, which I get. They're not climbing the rankings a lot. But, you you know, we know what happens come conference play. Um, a lot of these higher-ranked teams are going to knock each other out. I think there's a good chance for Gonzaga, if they would just win out and do what they're supposed to do, to creep up towards number 10 in the nation. Um, expect them to be a three or a four seed, I reckon, come tournament time. Um that's going to be exciting to watch. Yeah. The Pac-12 beating each other up, the Pac-12 women's teams, I think there's there's been a lot more respect be- between the, the rankings, um, just in the sense of these teams are 10 and 4 in conference, typically. It's like our, I think the top, three of the top four teams are 10 and 4 in conference, and they're all in the top 15. Um, so just that ability of these teams to beat each other up is being respected a little bit more in these rankings, which is... Which is interesting. I think when it comes time to rank Gonzaga at the end of the year, they'll say, "Hey, this team just ran the table, and that's gonna that's gonna move them up um, higher than where they're at now." Uh, that comparison with the Pac-12 teams will be interesting. Yes, indeed. Speaking of Pac-12 basketball, uh, UW legend Kelsey Plum was just passed on the leaderboard for all-time leading scorers in women's college basketball history. She was passed by this uh, this young player, little known, um, Catalina Catalina <laughs> Catalina Clark. Uh, no, Kaylin Clark did it in uh, dramatic fashion uh, in her tenth forty point game of her career. Jesus, uh, yeah, she's a lot of fun to watch. Um, we've talked about her before. Getting her on the storm would be very cool. Um, we'll see what happens. I just wanted to note, just it is pretty cool, just looking at this top. 25 list of all-time scores in, in women's college basketball. Uh, Kelsey Plum was number one at 3,500 points. Kaylin Pastor, she's up to 3,569. She's done it in 13 less games than Kelsey Plum. Um, yeah, absolutely wild. Um, so yeah, she is now first all-time in points per game. Or sorry, in points scored. Yep. On this list of the top 25 scorers in women's college basketball history, she is second in points per game. 
I will give you a crisp $50 bill if you can tell me who the actual leading score in terms of points per game is in the history of, at least in the top 25. There may be people that, you know, average 30 for game. a season and left. Can you give me like an era? Is there any sort of years? Uh, yes. She played at Mississippi Valley State from 1985 to 1989. Fuck, dude. <laughs> um, I feel like she's probably like a coach in the WNBA right now. I couldn't tell you what any name that comes to mind at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, I was trying to see her. So it, her name is Patricia Hoskins. I was, I was I've curious. Heard that name. If, I've heard it. If she was talked, floated around. Yeah. The, the daughter of Bob Hoskins, but like that doesn't say anyway, that's crazy. Yeah. Patricia Hoskins. Good for her. 28.4 to, to, uh, Caitlin's 28.3. So that she could still pass it. Absolutely. Also though, Patricia holds the record for most points per game in women's college basketball history for a single season. She averaged 33.6 points per game for one season. Good wow. Luck. Good God. NBA type numbers. 1985, baby. Um, anyway, just wanted to give a shout out for Caitlin and, uh, a remembrance of the great Kelsey Plum. Yes. Yeah. You I got, saw she had like icon. a big, there was like NBA All-Star weekend and she had a little, little, uh, backhanded compliment at one of the celebrity players and they kind of had a little little jabs at each other which i thought was interesting <laughs> i think the this this is a greater topic that we don't necessarily need to get into but the the WNBA prevalence and like the speed that it's coming around has, has been an interesting topic of discussion in the sports world really blowing up in terms um, of yeah prevalence as related to the nba yeah it's like they've been around for 25 years maybe 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 almost 30 at this point um and they're they're jumping up there in terms of People that are watching the WNBA, obviously it's not going to be as big as the NBA right now because it's 50 years less. Um, but it's, it's been really cool to see in the last half decade how much it's grown. You're 100% right. And it's growing in the exact same way that the NBA grew back in the 1960s and 70s, which is it's the big names that are pulling people in. You know, People knew Wilt and Bill. They didn't necessarily know every guy on every team. But they were drawn into the sport by these big, larger-than-life names. And women's college basketball is doing the exact same thing right yeah. now. I can't name every player on every team. But the big names I know and I want to see play. Watching the INSQ staff shoot off was awesome. Um, she's really, really good. Um, but that's what's pulling people in. And Caitlin Clark is going to – she's going to be a, a, a ratings alterer all to herself. So that's going to be – Really interesting to see how that works because you're right, it is blowing up, and they're about to get what might be the biggest star in the history of their sport. So yeah, we'll see how that works. Yeah, exciting, exciting for women's basketball in general. Yes. Um, from there, I do want to quickly touch on the fact that Mariner spring training starts on Saturday. John is just picking at his lip right now. I think he's got. I'm bleeding over here. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, Mariner spring training starts on Saturday. Uh, do not. Take the statistics from spring training and translate them into how the season is going to go for the Mariners. These guys are practicing; they're working on stuff. They're getting back to back into speed. All of these things. It's it's like if you were to stop your job and then immediately start back up. Don't expect the same productivity out of yourself that you would have. Don't expect the same productivity out of them that they are going to have during the season. Yeah. Well, and that goes. In all possible facets, to your point, and the good point is, these guys are working on stuff. They're not necessarily out there trying to score runs. They're out there tr- 
trying to work on things they've been working on with the coaching staff related to launch angle and, you know, speed of contact and a lot of this stuff where it's like, no, they're trying to get a bat on the ball in a specific way, but they're not always trying to do what seems obvious. Yeah. And the second, and so that's, you know, if Julio's batting 110 through a couple spring training games, relax. And then on the other side, guess who else is practicing things and working on stuff? The pitchers. Everyone's out there warming up. If Cal Raleigh's batting 330 through three games, let's calm down again. <laughs> let's calm down again. Uh, fun to watch how players are going to develop and how things are going to change. But for the love of God, people, stop reacting to spring training. I am excited to see how Bryce Miller's splitter is going. Um, I've heard a lot about Ty France's bat speed has increased three and a half miles per hour, which is a lot in terms of generating power, which is cool to hear about from his driveline offseason workouts that everybody's seen from him. Um, So there are some fun things to look for. But yeah, don't look at the results, I would say. Keep keep track of the cool things that you want to see. Yes. But they're going to, like, our, the starting nine are going to play three innings, and then they're going to come out of the game, and they're going to let the AAA players play. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why spring training is fun. Grain of salt. All right. Let's get into the meat of the pod. We want to talk about college basketball. Um, I'm going to quickly talk about the Huskies, and then we're going to break down the awesome season that the Cougars are having and what we think about it. Um, in terms of the Huskies, they this weekend played the Bay Area schools and had an awesome win against Stanford, winning 85-65. to 20-point win against a decent team. Um, and then they proceeded to kind of crap the bed against a California team, losing 82-80. to 80. Um, And it just shows the difference that this team can have when they have a good game um, defensively. Like, their, their defense can step up, and their players can make shots, but it's just been so inconsistent. They've... Yeah, they're just they're allowing way too many points. And Hopkins came in and was touted as this big, you know, defensive specialist specialist coach when it came to running the Syracuse two three zone. And they've diverted from that, um, and they just don't they don't play good enough defense anymore. Um, I think I'm officially going to call Hopkins to the hot seat, and <laughs> I would like him to be fired as soon as possible. I think that's going to come at the end of this year, but we will we will see who they replace. Um, replace him with, and it's yeah, it's going to be an interesting next couple of years for UW, I would think. Yeah, uh, worth noting, there are some positive, positives out there. They're sixth in net rating in the Pac-12, um, offensive and defensive ratings, both pretty middle of the pack, but they're doing above average in both of those pursuits. Um, their net rating is such that they should be winning games. And they're just not, and they're just not. Um, We'll get into that a little bit and how it relates to Wazoo. But, yeah, tough season so far for uh, UW. Yeah. All right. Let's get into it. Wazoo, they are ranked 21st in the nation. They've, they've finally gotten the recognition that we've been calling for them to, to – or that we've been calling for them to receive. Um, yeah, they beat California and Stanford both this weekend, and they've got a huge game against Arizona tomorrow that everybody who is a fan of college basketball in the state of Washington should be watching. That's yes. a huge game for Wazoo and the Pack in general. Um, they've beat Arizona once already this year, and it's going to be a fun game. Let's break down why they're good. Yeah, so, yeah, that game's going to be massive. We can talk more about it later, but just they're a half game behind Arizona and have lost one more game. Uh, if they beat Arizona, 
they will have the same record, the same number of losses, and two wins over their opponent. Arizona is currently ranked, what, five in the country? Um, and Wazoo is 21, so four in the country Arizona is. So if Wazoo manages to pull this one off, expect a big drop from Arizona and a big jump by Wazoo. Um, it just makes sense. Um, yeah, so Wazoo, we, we wanted to talk a little bit more statistically about this team because here they are climbing up in the Pac-12 rankings and the national rankings, winning games, and they're a team that we didn't necessarily expect this from. And so we wanted to just kind of dive into the statistics and say, okay, where is this coming from? Where are these wins coming from? So I'm just going to rattle off here real quick some of their biggest offensive and defensive uh, ranks in the country. So Wazoo scoring 76 points a game. They are 106th in the nation in points per game. Offensively, they're not doing much of anything special. They're 33rd in score margin, meaning they are pulling out games, but that's an offensive and defensive stat. They are 204th in assists per game. They do are not very good at moving the ball around. Uh, 61st in rebounds per game. They're okay on the boards. Um, 120th in assists to turnover ratio. So this offense is, statistically speaking, not special. They have three guys averaging over double figures. Their leading scorer, Miles Rice. Yep. Is a rookie, correct? He's yeah, freshman. Yeah, freshman. Thank you. That's <laughs> that's what we call these collegiate athletes. So yeah, their leading scorer is a freshman. They only have three guys averaging over double figures. They've got four. They've got Miles Rice, Isaac Jones, and then Jalen Wells, who's played one less game. Okay, um, which is why he might be bumped down. Yeah, in and points. a different statistic. Yeah, um, but yeah, he's got eleven point two, and then Andre Jakimovsky is their three point specialist, averaging ten and a half points. Old Jakimovsky. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so we look at that and we say, okay, <laughs> that's not it. Um, looking at the defensive side of the ball, they're a lot more consistent and it starts to paint a better picture. Um, in opposing points per game, they allow 66 per game. That's 37th in the country. Uh, they're 33rd in score margin, 16th in opposing assists per game. So they're really good at making guys play them one-on-one. Um 35th in allowed rebounds per game, 45th in allowed assist to field goal. Um, so you can see they're consistently in those mid-30 rankings in basically all the defensive metrics. So um, for those that don't know, that can be kind of confusing. They're like, okay, they're a pretty mediocre offense and like 30th in defense. How are they good? You have to combine the two. You know, a lot of teams are really high level in one statistic and much lower in another. Um, the fact that they're a high-end defense and a mediocre offense is actually a good combination for success, and it's obvious their success is coming on that defensive side of the ball. Yeah. What I look at is some of their 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 game stats. I wouldn't necessarily look at other people's, but what are their what happens in their games that makes them good? They're shooting 47.5% from the field. They're holding opponents to a below 41% field goal percentage. That's a big margin when it comes to over a full season. 6.5% is a lot. Um, when it comes to rebounding, they get six more rebounds a game. And in terms of blocks defensively, their steals, their assists, their turnovers, they're all pretty normal. They've gotten, they average 5.3 blocks per game. And they, they're averaging getting blocked 2.8 times per game. 
their interior defense is really, really good, I think is what it is. Their ability to funnel from the outside, from the perimeter, into these big guys, big athletic forwards and centers that can block shots and really just have the ability to alter shots and make it so that they can't get assists because they're open, but they have to shoot over these big guys. Um, makes Wajdu's defense really good. The other side of it is they make teams play a lot slower when it comes to their pace of play. They are, um, what is that? 10th in the pack 12. So third from third from the bottom, they do, they have a 65.9 pace of play and Arizona has a 72.9. They're number one in the pack 12. When WSU is able to beat these good teams, it's because they're slowing them down. We watched them do this against Washington too. They're slowing them down. They're making them do a lot of one-on-one play. And that's what Washington does well because they've got two guys who can score. But Wazoo is able to make teams that move the ball really well, play one-on-one offense, and pull up with mid-range shots that are well contested. And when it comes down to that, that's what the good teams do defensively. That's what really good teams that are ranked highly like Arizona does. Obviously, Arizona has a great offensive ranking. Um, In terms of the pack, Wazoo has the second highest defensive rating behind Arizona and the third highest offensive rating behind Arizona and Colorado. They're just really good. Um, yeah. Especially defensively in terms of their ability to make other teams take tough shots. And when it comes down to it, if you can make other teams take tough shots, that's all That's all you can ask for on the defensive end. And if you're average on offense, that'll get you a lot of wins. Yep, and that's what they're doing. They're grinding out wins. They're rebounding too. On that defense, they're really good on the defensive boards. Um, I got to be honest, um, looking at those statistics, and statistics don't always tell the whole story. We're going to talk about Gonzaga here in a little bit, and we're going to talk about how these statistics can be deceptive. Um, those statistics do not indicate to me that this Washington State team is a for real top 10 college basketball team. Yes, um, I would agree with that. It's really, really hard to be a top 10 college basketball team with this mediocre of an offense when you're not like the number five defense in the country. Um, You think of Virginia. Correct. Teams like that. Correct. Um, And I'm just not sure that that is what this Wazoo team is. We'll see. Obviously, they're doing the only thing that they can do right now, which is stacking wins. This Arizona game is going to be really significant. Um also, just in terms of proving that they can bring it night after night against high-level talent, you know, um, that's one thing about the Pac-12 this year. It is very much down across the board in terms of talent. You know, we're used to seeing two, three, four ranked teams in the Pac-12, um, and that's not the case this year. I, I believe it's just two. Just the two, yeah. yeah. Colorado has a chance. We'll see what happens with them. But um, so. They need every chance they get can get against these ranked opponents in terms of their national ranking. Um, yeah, it's going to be a fun one. Yeah, I they're currently um, in terms of the bracketology, whatever you want to call it. I looked at the ESPN current bracket setup and how they how it looks, and they are sitting at a number eight seed. I could see that jump up. I could also see that drop down to like a thirteen. I could see that jump up to maybe even like a five if they keep winning. Um, I think I don't like, like you were saying, John, I don't think they have the potential to win the tournament by any means. Um, there are just, there are teams that are just much better than them, but, and you need to have for especially three or four games in a row, you need to be able to have an offensive night where you really explode and a team that's, you know, 
90th or 120th in the country just doesn't have that. Yeah, I've really liked Miles Rice this entire season. And he does have the ability to turn it on. He's had a couple 30-point games. Yeah, and also, yeah, it's not great when your leading scorer is a rookie, but rookie, a freshman, but uh, when your leading scorer is a freshman, it's telling you that that freshman is special. He is really good. He's getting a lot of talk in terms of like NBA draft hype, not necessarily this year, but in the future. He should transfer to another Eastern Washington team. (laughs) Go to another year. Um, God, I would love a guard that can score. Uh, but yeah, Wazoo, I could, I could see them doing kind of what Oregon State did a couple years ago, um, when we were there, obviously, um, and making an Elite Eight type run. If they sure. could win four games, I don't, sure. yeah, I don't see them beating a UConn or beating a Kansas. But nobody um, wants to play them, I'll tell but you But nobody would be excited to take them on. Uh, and Miles Rice is obviously a guy with no fear. That's, that's all I got for Wazoo. I just, I, I'm really excited for where they're at, and I will be intrigued to see how they push forward into these next few years during the Pac 12 intermission. Yeah. Um, but it also, it's, it's been an exciting year. Yeah. And this game is going to be the game of the rest of the short regular season for them. Yeah. Um, it's going to dictate a lot what they need, um, come, you know, Pac 12 tournament time, you know, when it comes to how they finish the regular season. Um, if they win, that's great. It's also going to increase the pressure a lot on them to keep winning, not let any of these smaller games slip. Yes. If they lose, that's okay. They'll probably drop back down to 25 or even out of the ranking. Um, and then it's not as important that they bring it every night. This is a tournament team regardless. Yeah. Um, let me talk about Gonzaga a little bit. Eh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> since, uh, since the win over Kentucky, which we discussed at length, They've had two pretty dominant wins over crappy WCC opponents, beating LMU and Pacific, both by 20 or more. Um, and they are now uh, the second team out of the top 25 rankings. Uh, they are what you could call number 27 in the nation, even though AP doesn't technically rank their teams outside the top 25. Um, I expect to see that continue to climb. Their statistical case is really strong. And I know that we've talked a lot about how they have played a lot of good teams this year and have beaten one, exactly one of them. They're going to have another chance at St. Mary's here in another couple weeks, which will help their argument. Um, But that's the case against them. The case for them, I just think, is interesting. In terms of overall statistics, and I'm I'm using statistics off of teamrankings.com, they are the number 18 team in the country in a combined offensive and defensive metric statistic. Um, they are eighth in the country in points per game. They're scoring 84 a game, really high level. They are second in the country in shooting. And why that's so impressive is because their three-point shooting, as we've discussed, is abysmal. They're 144th in the country, shooting 34% from three. They're second in the country in shooting because they are shooting 59% from twos. They are dominating inside. Ike and Watson and Greg and Huff off the bench. These guys have size. They are eating inside. It helps when they're playing WCC opponents. I'm going to qualify that. But you see that in the statistics as well. Not only are they scoring super efficiently inside, they're 28th in the country in rebounding per game and 17th in the country in opponents rebounding per game. They are devouring the offensive and defensive glass, eating teams up inside. Uh, and it's leading to 
statistically one of the best offenses in the country. Now, the WC this year, the WCC this year is very bad. They're playing a lot of very bad teams and inflating these statistics. But I just wanted to note that a team currently ranked outside of the top 25 looks like a team that could not only succeed, you know, come conference play but or conference tournament time, but I don't think any team wants to play in the tournament. This is a strong defensive team, team that dominates on the glass with a lot of age and experience in their front court. Yeah, you're 100% right that the WCC is light this year. Um, I have a few concerns, but I also, I first off, I want to point out a 59% shooting percentage from twos reminds me a lot of like prime Zion Williamson. That's like the the Zion Williamson was so good because he was so efficient. Yes. He was just able to get the ball inside and just dunk it on whoever was close to him. Correct. Um, which is really cool for Gonzaga to be doing. The caveat is that it's WCC opponents. They are all... Like Gonzaga, Gonzaga's bigs, and not to bash on the WCC, but it's like Gonzaga's bigs are D1 bigs. They're players that can play <laughs> at a Duke, a Kentucky, wherever. They're big enough to do that. Yes. The WCC does not have a lot of players like that. Yes. And so that comparison of rebounds and interior scoring is a little tough to compare with guys who are 6'9", playing at the, the forward or center position for WCC teams. Um, when they could be going up against Zach Eady, Zach Eady, Hunter Dickinson, all these really good bigs on sure. the interior um, when it comes to tournament time. That's an excellent, excellent point. And and it's worth noting that, you know, in the Kentucky game, the game where I noticed more than any other, this team is elite on the glass. We were playing a team that was starting two freshmen in their front court and were missing their, like, junior or senior big with injury. So, um, you know, even in the one where we got him, <laughs> we weren't necessarily facing an you know equal front court opponent in terms of age and size and experience. Um, yeah, how real that is, I guess, is is still the big question looming over these guys. Yeah, and I think when it comes down to it, they're going to make the tournament. That's just kind of they're yeah. they're going to they're going to be a lower seed. They might be a Correct. an eleven if they if they win out if they win the WCC tournament, they might jump up to an eight seed or whatever it is. They could get higher than that. I would think um, right now, all things being equal, they'd be an eight or nine. They could get down to 11. I think they could get high as maybe a five. They could be a top 15. If, team if the they win out, if they win out, that means um, two wins over. And they, they need to all be dominant. That's, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, them playing against these higher quality opponents, the St. Mary's team. I don't know what St. Mary's front court looks like, but they need to get these wins against them, and then I would really like to see them play a team with good bigs um, come the first couple games of the tournament just to get them up to speed. <laughs> Not me, baby. I'm hoping it's all small all the way. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like you, you you want them to get easy games, but it's like they need to be tested at some point because if mm-hmm. they get to the round of – or the Sweet 16, it's like they're going to be playing a good team no matter what. Dude, if this Zach team which is the, <laughs> which is the Sweet 16, I'm, I'm thanking the Lord for washing my hands of it. <laughs> Um, yeah, you're right. Uh, the St. Mary's has a good front court. They got, like us, just some aged, experienced big guys. Yeah. It's worth noting that, you know, in that Purdue game, we defended Edie about as well as anybody could. Um, and he still finished with a nice stat line, but he was not efficient from the floor. He had um, foul trouble that game, I believe, too, right? Correct. And, and was, yeah, shooting like 
25% in the first half, and, you know, he, he brought it around. But this is a team that has shown they can defend big teams. Whether or not they can be nearly as efficient offensively against big teams is, I think, the big question. Yeah, I honestly, I think of the UW game, and I think of how Kepnang on UW, who's like a 6'11", but athletic big, yeah. he kind of dominated Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that that would happen now, because it was early on in the season, things things were a little different. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I, w- I would be intrigued to see how that how the game plan has shifted. I haven't watched a ton of Gonzaga games since then. Mm-hmm. Um, but Few's shown a knack for getting this team to where they need to be come, come tournament time, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. It'll be interesting. Um... That's a little shorter of a pod. I don't necessarily. We have some Seahawks free agency discussion that we might save for a later date. But Let's we're, save it. Yeah, we've got spring training coming up. There's not going to be much to talk about over the next couple weeks. Yeah, we're going to give you guys some weird stuff, I'm sure. Yeah. And we will be maybe even more prepared with some actual segments. We just really wanted to get into this college basketball talk when we had the chance. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of big stuff coming up. End of the season. Around the corner. Um, we have to make our yearly March Madness brackets. Oh, yes. <laughs> <that> we... <laughs> We picked Arizona to win last year, people. Yeah, we did. We did. <coughs> Who lost in the first round. Yeah, let's bring it back. Let's yeah, bring it back. We're going to do it again. Tommy Lloyd Redemption, baby. We're picking Wazoo to win it all, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <coughs> oh, my God. Just going to take a sec. <laughs> all right. If you enjoyed this episode of Sound Up Seattle, please feel free to give us a follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening. Uh, you can find Sound Up Seattle on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, all at Sound Up Seattle, all lowercase, all one word. You can find me, Tyler, at Tycart50, everywhere that's important. And you can find John watching Drink Masters on Netflix. I finished. I oh, finished you finished it. that all last I, night? That's I watched, what I was hearing while I was trying to sleep? I watched 10 episodes in two days. <laughs> well, whatever he's watching next, some other <laughs> cooking competition show. Um, that's going to be it. Let's Let's go kooks, though. Let's go Cougs. Big game.